So this morning, we are uh, starting a new study in the book of Esther. Now, if you don't know, Esther is in the Old Testament, and if you struggle finding it, it's about a third of the way through the Old Testament. Um, comes after, what, Ezra and Nehemiah. And before we get into Esther, I just want to share you some background. There's several people that are in this book it's mentioned. It's a narrative, so it's a story. And who here loves stories? We love stories. They're easy to follow, and it really brings out our imagination at times. And so as we go through Esther, we'll see that there is a story going on. And it starts one way, and we'll find out that it ends another way. In fact, almost completely opposite of of how it begins. Now, one of the main characters in the book of Esther is King Ahasuerus. Now, if you studied any sort of history, you won't find King Ahasuerus in it because historically he's known as King Xerxes I. Now, have you heard of King Xerxes? If you know anything about him, or if you don't know anything about him, let me just share with you a couple things about this guy because when you realize what kind of a person what kind of a reputation that King Xerxes had, it kind of puts the whole story into perspective. For instance, King Xerxes one time, when he was traveling with his army, stayed at this elder gentleman's place. And he stayed there for a while, and this gentleman showed uh, just great hospitality. So much so that he even gave his sons to Xerxes to join his army. All of his sons, except for one, his, his eldest son, he wanted to keep him home with him. Well, after an exchange and with the gentleman saying, no, I want him here, Xerxes ended up killing that son, cutting him in half and spreading his body and then had his army, his military, walk between. Not a nice guy. And then another time he had this bridge built over this river to help with his invasion of Greece. And there was a freak storm that happened, one that uh, nobody had ever seen before, and it collapsed the bridge. Xerxes, in his rage, had his um, engineers all killed, and then he had somebody else whip the river as punishment for destroying the bridge. So when you take that this guy did those things, it kind of puts the story of Esther into perspective. He wasn't a a jovial guy. He wasn't a guy who was full of patience and kindness and understanding. He was a really bad dude, really bad reputation. Um, The book of Esther, interestingly, is the only book, it depends on who you talk to, but really is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. Which is interesting. How could we have a book, right, the Bible about God, and yet have a book that doesn't mention God? The other book that it gets credit, depends on who you talk to, is actually the Song of Solomon, which doesn't necessarily mention God, but it does, it does mention the Lord's flame or the flame of the Lord. Other than that, Song of Solomon doesn't have any mention about God. But what's interesting is when you read Esther, specifically in Hebrew because that's the language that it was written in, is there are 
four, well, five times that it's mentioned where there's acronyms of God. And what that is, is there's four words typically to get together. And depending on the time, there's two times. It's the first letter of every word spells, um, spells out Yahweh. And then the other two, uh, the other two it's, the, it's the last letter of four words together. And today is actually one of the verses, 120, that we'll go through that actually has the, the acronym of, of God there. And one of the important things about Esther, because it's a story, it's a very dark period in the lives of Jews during that time. They are exiles. A few kings ago, yeah, they were allowed to go back, but it's really utter devastation. And have you ever felt like God is absent from your life? There are times when you go through and you, where is God? Where is God? He doesn't exist. But does God truly always exist? Yes. It's a phrase that I use in today's a perfect day. Is the sun shining? Yes, it is. The sun is always shining. Today, for us, it's shining above the clouds. We may not see the sun, but does that mean the sun isn't there? No, it doesn't. Every day is a sunny day. Just like God is with you, no matter if you're having a good day or whether you're having the worst day ever, God is there. God is present. Also, this takes place about 38 years prior to Nehemiah, which we've already looked through and studied. And even though it comes after, in our, in our Bibles, it comes after the book of Nehemiah, really, um, in the timeline, it comes before. Which is also interesting, because once you get through the book of, of Esther, who would have been around when King Artaxerxes, the king in Nehemiah, who would have been around his time of, of growing up and making decisions? Esther. And maybe she had some influence in King Artaxerxes. And so you see all of this when the Bible, and you put it all together, um, just canonically and just in the order in which it happened, it kind of, wow, it's amazing how God works everything out. And the last thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention about the book here is, is that the beginning here, it talks about the king's 127 provinces. For us today, that's like modern-day Pakistan to northern Sudan. All of that area minus Greece. And we're going to, as we go through Esther, we'll, we'll kind of see here too that the beginning of Esther takes place three years prior, about three years prior to when King Xerxes invaded, or at least tried to invade Greece. And he, he was met up with the 300 Spartans and how they held him off for so long. Finally, they were able to, to defeat the Spartans. Um, but later on, Xerxes lost the war. And all of that plays into the book of Esther. And we're going to see that. And today, we're going to be talking about choices. Who here has ever made a choice? We've all made choices. You're here because of a choice that either you or somebody else made. And do you remember last week I mentioned about the week prior how somebody came up to me and said, man, you're just preaching to me. And last week I said, I'm not speaking to anybody. I'm just preaching God's word. Well, today, as I'm going through this, you know who I'm preaching to today? 
is me. I go through this and I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, did I make some poor choices? Sometimes our choices only affect ourselves. Sometimes they affect others. A lot of times the choices that we make affect more than just ourselves. And so today when I'm talking about choices, I was talking to somebody this morning about choices. He's like, oh man, I made some choices this past week. And those choices affected more than just himself. And we're going to be talking about that today. And choices and how much they matter. Do choices, the, the choices you make, do they, are they important? Yeah, you're here not just because of one choice that you made, but of multiple choices that you've made. You have children and grandchildren because of one choice that you made. Yeah. It's as simple as that and how the choices we make really affect those around us. So before we get into Esther chapter 1, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're going to be talking about choices. Lord, uh, choices that these people made thousands of years ago. Lord, we're going to be talking about the choices that we make today, the, the choices that we made yesterday, this past week, Lord, and how our choices just affect those around us. Lord, I just pray again that as we go through your, your word this morning, as we study the scriptures, Lord, that you would just speak to each and every one of us, and I pray that each and every one of us would learn something from, from you today. Lord, I pray that my words would, would decrease and yours would increase. Lord, that you would use me to glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, as with any great story, we're going to start with the setting, the background. What is going on at this time? And the first chapter of Esther talks about three different feasts. You ever been to a feast? We have a feast coming up here in a few weeks. What do we call that feast? Thanksgiving. Your feast, I hope, (laughs) isn't like these feasts that we're going to be talking about this morning. Because this first feast is a boastful feast. It's a feast that he just spreads out just to show everybody how incredibly awesome he is. So let's read about this feast. Verses 1 to 4 of Esther chapter 1. It says, Now in the days of Ahasuerus... The the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of pomp, of his greatness for many days, 180 days. How many months is that? Six months. Six months. And while this feast, I don't believe that everybody was invited to his house and that they stayed there for six months. That would be a long time for a country of that size to not function. Probably what this feast was was an open invitation Come and go, but knowing Xerxes, you better come. And what was the purpose of it? 
It says here, to show, right, he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness. You see, we know when this took place, and we know what happens three years from now. That's when he goes to invade Greece. Something that his father tried to do, but failed. And so here's Xerxes, he's getting ready to go to war. What better way to go to war that your country lost than to bring people in and say, hey, look how great, how powerful, how rich I am, we are, we can do this. So he's rallying the troops, boasting. Do you know somebody who likes that, who just boasts about themselves? They go around, we call them sometimes a one-upper. You share a story with a one-upper, and what do they, and what do they say? They come and say, oh, well, you know, I did that, but whatever. Oh, that's a, that's a big deal, but you know what? Mine had another spike on it. Or the wind was blowing, or you know what? Yeah, so what? You shot 400 yards. I did mine at 600, or maybe even just 400 to 1. But we're all guilty of that. Anybody here guilty of being boastful? You get a, a new vehicle, and you just want to show it off? You know, there are vehicles on this road that are good because they get you from point A to point B. And that's all, that's all a vehicle really needs to do. But yet there are vehicles that people drive, and it does more than just get them from point A to B. It shows people, look how wealthy I am. Look at what I'm driving. Right? When you see somebody driving a Ford, you don't think, wow, man, that guy's loaded. You don't think that. I don't think that. But if you see a guy driving around in a Ferrari, you're thinking, man, that guy has money to spend. You don't, spend, you don't buy a Ferrari just because, oh, it's, it's the only thing I can afford. Not usually. Not usually. And so here, here, right, King Xerxes, he has all his Ferraris lined up, Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis, what have you. He has them all lined up for people to come see how wealthy he is and to get them ready for the war, the battle, that is coming up here in just a few years. Well, after that feast for six months, he has another feast. And this is uh, the drunken feast. The drunken feast. Let's read that, five to eight. It says, And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white, uh, white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold. Anybody here have couches made of gold in there? Couches of, of gold. Um, now I lost my place here. Couches uh, Couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. All right, so get this. You've heard of an open bar. You've heard of an open bar. Well, this is so open where it doesn't matter how drunk the guests are. Don't say no. 
give them more. He actually passed a law for this time that says, don't cut them off. Think about that. Seven days of unlimited alcohol. How would people be at the end of seven days? Unconscious? They wake up, hey, give me another one. Sick. Absolutely ridiculous. And actually, this is interesting. Persians had a way of making a decision. If if there was a, a decision that had to be made, they would come to a conclusion when they were sober, and then they would get drunk and, and ask that same question again and come to a different answer, probably. And then when they were sober, they'd get back and they'd study the two answers they gave and come to a, a final conclusion. Talk about excessiveness. And we're going to see here what happens, how alcohol, being drunk, and making decisions is not a good thing. How many of you have undergone anesthesia? When you go home, if, if it's the same day, what do they tell you? There's two things you can't do. One is what? Drive. And what's the other decision you cannot make? You can't sign any legal documents. Why? Be- because you're not thinking. Because you're not clear-headed. And chances are it's going to be a bad decision. Because how many good decisions are made when you're drunk? Not many. Not many. And throughout history, people usually don't say, oh, I have a really important decision to make. Bring on the alcohol. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't happen. And so here we see the king and all of his men that are there are drunk. But there's a third feast that's mentioned, and that's the queen's feast. Because during this time, the queen is having a feast herself. Let's read that in verse 9. It says, Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. So she's having a party while he's having a party. And what's interesting, too, is, is Queen Vashti. In history, there really, we can't find a queen named Vashti. Vashti could have been a, a title and probably was. Because Vashti means best. And the word is actually closely associated with with drink. So in in today's language, if we were to give this queen a title, she would be queen top shelf. That's That's the way he saw her. She was the best of the best. Beautiful. Nobody compared to this queen. And that's going to play an important role with what happens next. Her beauty is beyond compare. So that's the setting. Six months of just showing people how great he is. Seven days of just getting drunk. And while this is going on, the queen is also having a party. Well, let's, let's read about this situation because things get a little interesting in this part of the story. We see that the king makes a request, the king's request. Let's read about that, verses 10 to 11. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, what does that mean? Merry with wine, he was drunk, okay? He commanded Mahuman, Bitha, Harbona, Bitha, and and Abaktha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown. 
in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. So he asked that she come out so that they could see her beauty. Now what's interesting here, and again, I think this shows what kind of a person King Ahasuerus, King Xerxes was, but when it says here that he wanted her to come out wearing her crown, chances are that's all he wanted her to wear. Because again, would those people have seen Queen Vashti? Yeah, they lived there. They knew what she looked like. But here he is, drunk. He's shown off everything else in his palace, everything else under his ownership that was beautiful to look at, except for the queen wearing just her crown. Wow. That's a sobering moment right there. Now, ladies, if your husband was having a party for his guy's friends, and he said, hey, you're beautiful, you'd be like, oh, that's sweet. You're so beautiful, I want you to come out wearing nothing but a hat. Now would you think, wow, my husband really loves me. He really thinks I'm beautiful. Would any of you be like, thanks, hubby? Or would any of you be offended? Would any of you say no? Let's read about, about Vashti's refusal, the queen's refusal. Verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. How many choices have been made so far in this chapter? Let's have a choice. Let's have a party. Let me just bring people out to show my greatness. Then let's have an after party, a reception where unlimited alcohol. Nobody gets cut off. Another decision. And then the decision make, that, that he makes after seven days is, you know what? I've shown everybody everything. I have a great idea. Go get the queen, have her come out, and just have her prance around so that all may look on her beauty. Do you see these decisions and these choices? And then the queen refuses. The queen refuses. That's her choice. And then his response to that is he gets angry. Men, have you ever been angry when you ask your wife to do something and she says no? You ever got a little upset, maybe hurt, maybe disappointed, at least disappointed. I'm sure you you felt at least disappointed. But he got angry. And we know what happens when Xerxes gets angry. So he's drunk and he's angry. Do we blame Queen Vashti for saying no? No, we don't blame her. But it was a choice that she made. And if it wasn't for her choice, if she did not say no, would Esther have ever come on the scene? No. And it's amazing how this pagan culture, this pagan society, making pagan choices, ultimately glorifies God. It's amazing how God is working. When you would look at that party and you would just see, wow, sin. Sin everywhere. No. God is working there. So that's the situation. So let's read about the sentence, about his decision, about what happens next. Well, first, like any good king, he seeks counsel. So let's, let's read about the counsel. Verses 13 to 15. Then the king said to the wise men, which were the, uh, the lawyers that he kept around him, 
who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him being Karshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marsena, and Mimikin, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, right, this, this is a question. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti? Because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs. So get this, King Xerxes, who is more powerful than him? At this time in world history, nobody. Everybody bows to him. Everybody does what he wants, except who? Queen Vashti. Here he is, he's bragging, he's showing everybody how great he is. He can control 127 provinces, yet he can't control his wife. What do I do? It's a tough situation. So he seeks um, counsel. He seeks guidance. What should I do? And so he asked the people who he trusted their discernment. And let's see what, what the counsel that they give. Because counsel is given. Following this, starting with verse 16. Then Memekin said in the presence of, of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials including myself, right? Because he's one of the officials. And there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed. That Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. Well, that's great advice, right? He's like, hey, we got a problem here. Because if the queen can get away with disobeying you, then guess what? It gives permission for my wife to disobey me. Harry's wife, right? Everybody's wife. It's going to be utter chaos. It's going to be revolt. Through all your provinces, men will not be in control anymore. It's going to be utter chaos. Now, do you think he exaggerates maybe a little bit through all this? I think he does. But don't we have a tendency to exaggerate at times, especially when we want a certain decision? To lean a certain way? And again, who's drunk at this time? At least the king is. Much less everybody else. And it's interesting because when this starts, when, when he starts talking, he talks about the queen. And then he mentions Vashti with no title. Vashti, you got to get rid of her and find somebody better. 
Now, in his mind, what do you think that better means? What's that? Listens. Somebody better is somebody who's going to obey my command. That when I say do this, they're going to do it. Because men, right? Wouldn't that be the perfect wife? Somebody who does everything you say without question? Wouldn't that make our lives easier? I know it's hunting season, but there's no hunting. And I know we have some women who hunt, so I hope you didn't bring any ammunition or, you know, any arrows or anything. But that's what, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're thinking. Man, life would be great if women were just our servants and they did everything we wanted to. Man, that's how he's playing it out. And we're looking at it, and, and all of this happens. And what happens? What's the choice that Xerxes makes? Well, the counsel is followed. Verse 21, this advice pleased the king and the princess. Man, this is great. What a great idea. What a great idea. It pleased the king and the princess. And the king did as Mimukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Wow. So he followed. Now, ladies, was this good? Was this a good choice that he made? No, it's not a good choice that he made. We see this as, as being ridiculous, as I can't believe he did that. But knowing that he was under the influence and that he had bad counsel, and knowing the kind of guy that he was, he made rash decisions. And here was another decision, another rash decision that he made. And I said, fine, yep, get rid of Vashti. She's no longer queen. And make it known that nobody is allowed, right? No wives, no women are allowed to say no to their husbands for any reason whatsoever. That the man is the master. Wow. That's how Esther begins. A lot of choices, good choices or bad choices, a lot of bad choices. One led to another. But ultimately, because we know what happens, if you don't know, feel free to read ahead. You don't have to wait till next week to find out what happens, unless you like surprises. You can wait to find out what happens next. Xerxes made a choice. And according to, to the law of the Medes and, and the Persians, did he have to stick with that choice? Yeah. He couldn't make a decision, make it into law, and then be like, oh, you know what? Let's fix that. I don't like that law. No. He couldn't do that. He did not have the ability to do that. And so as we look at these choices today that were made, think about the choices that you've made. Have you made poor choices that Xerxes made. Have you ever made a rash decision? How many of you have made a, a choice? You were supposed to do something, and you said, you know what, I'll do it later. How many of you ever, ever said, I'll do it later? And then what happens? Days, weeks, months, 
even years later, you realize that, oh, I should have done that. And it's something, again, as I was going through this this week, there were choices that I made this week. And guess what? Were they all good choices? No, they weren't. They weren't. They were choices made out of, sometimes out of ignorance. Maybe they were out of just laziness. Maybe it was, I thought of it, but the timing was just off. But then when the timing was good, I forgot, and I didn't think about it. Choices. The choices you make don't affect just yourself. The choices you make affect those around you. Do they not? How many of you have made a choice that has hurt somebody else? Yeah, we've all made choices that we hurt somebody else. How many of you have made choices that actually somebody was uh, excited about? Yeah, I've made, some, I've made a few good choices in my life. And I try to capitalize on them. Hey, look, I actually, I did it right. I did it right. But I challenge you this week, as I challenge myself, is, is be careful about the choices that you make. You don't know necessarily where, where the choice is going to lead. But if it's the right choice, whether what happens is good or bad, it's ultimately it's going to be good because it's what, God, it's what God wants. So I hope this morning that you're challenged about choices. And I hope, you, I hope you're thinking about maybe choices you made in the past, but I also hope you don't dwell on those. Because can we change the choices that we made yesterday? No. Can we make, try to make amends for those choices that we made yesterday that weren't maybe the best? Yeah. Is we can do that. You can't change it, but maybe you can alter it and, and, and try to make it better. Choices. So what kind of choices are you going to make this week? Let's pray.